Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete, the podcast where I interview interesting creative people about technology, creativity and how the two work together. Really excited to have Dolly Alderton back on the podcast. This is the third time that Dolly has been on the podcast, but I just find a lot of what she's doing truly fascinating at the moment, and she never runs out of things to say. There's always things to discuss, and I've found following her career this year just so exciting and interesting. She has had such a brilliant year. Her book, Everything I Know About Love, has been in the Sunday Times bestseller chart for 32 weeks. She also won the Specsavers National Book Award for Autobiography of the Year and was one of the six authors, alongside Sally Rooney, shortlisted for the Waterstones Book of the Year. The book has been absolutely everywhere and it's really opened up a vital conversation about what being a millennial woman is like, but at the heart of the book really is celebrating female friendship in all its forms. She is celebrating the opening night of her paperback of Everything I Know About Love with a tour, and she's starting the tour at the London Palladium for an audience of over 2,000 people and it sold out within 24 hours. That just shows just how much the book has resonated with people. She's also a judge this year for the Women's Prize for Fiction and her own iTunes podcast, The High Low, continues to grow in popularity alongside her brilliant other interview series, Love Stories. There is so much more to say about Dolly, but I'm gonna leave it there for now so that you can start listening to the interview. I'm thrilled to have caught up with her again. I went over to her flat and we had a very laid back, very reflective conversation about this year. And I really enjoyed recording this one. So I hope you enjoy it. And please go and buy everything I know about love if you haven't already in paperback. It's got a brand new chapter called Everything I Know About 30, about turning 30 and really dissecting and analysing what it means to move into a new decade So I will stop rambling now and let you listen to this episode. Thank you so much for always supporting this podcast. And if you want to, please leave a rating or a review on iTunes. It really, really helps me continue to make this show. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Welcome back, Dolly Alderton, to Control Not Delete. Thank you so much for having me for a third time. This is such an honour. I know you said about Hugh Laurie on Desert Island Disc. Yeah, I think he's the only castaway who's been allowed on three times. So I just feel like such a privilege that I might be the Hugh Laurie of Control Not Delete. You really are. I find it actually really lovely as well because I think the first time I interviewed you it might even have been like 2016. Yeah. And you were talking about the book. Well, you were talking about some book that you were thinking about and then the second one we did live in Waterstones when I was so hungover and you were hungover but you <laughs> pulled it out the bag and I think you just found out it was a Sunday Times bestseller so it felt oh, like that was a yeah. bit of a moment and yeah. then now the paperback's yeah. coming out yeah maybe I'll just keep doing this like if I get married you can be there on the sidelines I can go back you know 
Oh my God, imagine. Behind the altar and say how it's all going. Birth of my first child. You can be there with your headphones on. I'd love that. I was so worried though, because I I actually read an iTunes comment recently on a podcast, which was like, do people just interview each other now? Do people not even just hang out and talk? And I was like, oh God, is this what we're doing? I know, it's bad. (laughs) Do you know who I have that with? My friend New, Vanessa Kirby, who's um, an actress. She and I, her schedule is like really full on because she's always away abroad normally filming um and she gets these like tiny pockets of time in london (laughs) she's like one of my really close close friends and for the last few years because she often has to do events with journalists or be interviewed and because she's we've known each other for like over 10 years she'll often ask me because i know her inside out i won't make her feel uncomfortable she trusts me whatever and she's like what happens and it's the only time we see each other now and she's like what happens if from now until the day we die it's just on podcasts and fucking panel events oh my god imagine just only on stage you're together no that won't that won't happen we've got to make sure that doesn't happen well one day soon we'll hang out with our microphone as well well the thing is we do always find a way to like sneak a drink in afterwards so definitely yeah we're doing both we do we do the offline (laughs) version as well what a year this has been for you (laughs) that sounds really kind of (laughs) 90s radio it was so big breakfast put your hands together (laughs) But seriously, though, I think you really have become, dare I say it, a household name. Emma, no. (laughs) And I wondered what that genuinely has been like, because, I mean, how many people have bought your book? Like hundreds of thousands. You are out there, Mm. let's just say. How has that been? Because you must have people like coming up to you, messaging you all the time. How's that adjustment been? Do you know what? It's first of all it's it's so local because <laughs> it's so in a specific place with specific type of people you know it's normally women my age in London um that it's totally fine it's lovely it's mm-hmm. it's such a lovely lovely thing I just you know uh, it's I can never be ungrateful about it because there was so long where I just felt like I had so many things to say and no one wanted to hear them so I just felt like I was bellowing out into the night (laughs) with with, you know not even an echo coming back at me so to feel like you're as a writer to feel like people are reading you is wonderful so people come you know speaking to me or coming up to say something nice about the book is um, lovely there are moments when I worry about there have been moments when it's really caught me off guard and I worry about I don't ever want to disappoint people that's the thing sorry that makes it sound like (laughs) make myself sound incredibly magnanimous but as in you want to be on good form for people who are being so generous with you and you know that sometimes does take you by surprise I was like out dancing a couple of weeks ago you know, a bit of an altered state, <laughs> high on life. And and I was, you know, it was, I was like three in the morning and I was doing this like mad dance with my best friend and I'd had this really hard week and we were really excited about going out and just like acting like maniacs. And a girl came over and started being really intense, like speaking really intensely to me about this huge heartbreak that she had. Mm-hmm. And I just felt, I didn't mind at all. Her, like, I was so grateful that she wanted to, to, like, connect with me and chat with me. But I just wasn't 
I wasn't in the right headspace to, to serve her as I would like to. So like that, that just worries me because I just want, I don't, yeah, I don't want to disappoint people. It's interesting that because it's almost like it's it's from the book but obviously but also i think social media has made people believe people are more accessible than they are yeah but also you know all of this is my own making i make myself very visible i share lots of things about my private life not so much anymore actually but i have done for a very long time so i think that i i don't know i think you don't i remember saying to bryony gordon once like oh does it does it frustrate you that everyone thinks that they know you? And she's like, well, they do. <laughs> they do know me. And I think you can't like endlessly put yourself out there and demand people's time and be like, know me, know me. This is my story. These are my thoughts. These are my friends. This is my taste in things. This is my opinion. And then when someone tries to like make that a conversation rather than a transmission, mm. go suddenly, I'm sorry, you have to respect my privacy. You don't know who I am. Like, I just don't, or you don't, you're not allowed access to me. I just think that's a really shitty attitude. It's 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 love. It's totally. It's just a big change. Yes, that's the thing. It is a change, and also it won't be forever. I think it's just a moment in time of my life right now, and yeah, I'm just acclimatizing to it. Yeah, it's. I think it's such an interesting one as well. With I remember years ago with like YouTube culture and how suddenly these teenagers were just like had no privacy anymore and it was like Mm. lots of old school journalists were Mm. like well they don't deserve privacy but they Mm. felt they did and it was like so i see i think they deserve it more actually because they didn't know what they were in for the whole point is is i was when i decided to write a memoir about my you wanted people to read it yeah, yeah like and also i'd been on social media sharing things about my private life and writing columns about my private life since i was like 22 like I knew if it went well, what would be coming. So it's not like, this is all my own making. Yeah. And this yeah. is, and this is not what I wanted. What I never wanted to be a professional personality. And actually that's the thing that has been the worst part of the last year, last two years. But in terms of the, the people reading the book and therefore like feeling feeling like they know me or whatever in the same way that I do with everyone's memoirs who I've read and enjoyed, like that was always the goal. So yeah, I can't now throw a wobbly about it. Yeah, and it's nice that people feel like they do. Yeah, it's lovely. I mean, on the flip side of that as well, this is something I'm fascinated with in terms of the romantic side of things as well. Mm. How how does that work now? Because people really will know who you are. And also, I always think, you know, it worries me that what people would Google, actually. It's really difficult. It's really, really... It's the thing I found really difficult. Because I... It was totally fine. Because I was, like, completely off the market when the book came out I was having a period of like 18 months of my life in my late from the age of 28 until quite recently I wasn't dating for a number of different reasons um and it I mean I look back now I'm so grateful that that I did had that time not having to think about that stuff but that wasn't the reason why I wasn't it was more for my own sort of personal growth uh, personal growth Jesus sorry <laughs> but yeah I started dating again in October and it's been it's it's been fucking weird and and yeah I hadn't anticipated how weird it is like no men have known my, my work or who I am at all that that hasn't been the issue at all um it's it's more so like here's a good example on one of the first dates that I was on so I've dated a few people in the last you know 
few months. One of the first dates I went on, a, a girl came up to her. It was going really well the day, and a girl came up to me in the middle of the day and um, was like being very sweet about the book. And I felt a little bit self-conscious just because like, this guy was there who I like. This was the first time we were meeting, and then she started saying, "Oh, and your book really helped me because I too had an eating disorder." And, and started telling me about that and and if it were it, I was you know it's a great honor for someone to be sharing their story with you but I would never have told that man that oh that's something that you learn organically about someone as you get more intimate with them that's precious information for me you know in terms of sharing our own experiences and stories and not wanting to be defined by them too early on and that's something I probably wouldn't have chatted to him about until a few weeks or months in so that was just like and obviously that's a very that only happened once but but it but I did realize like but then a part of me was like well that she hasn't she hasn't like done a spoiler like that information is in a public domain mm. that for him to find. So yeah. I think that I just, I think I started to feel frustrated with myself because when I was writing it, when I was writing the book, what I was, I just wanted to tell the truth. I wanted to speak truthfully. I wanted to protect myself and protect other people, but I just wanted to write truth. I never anticipated the repercussions that would have when I wanted to get to know people romantically and and feel like I had things to information to give them does that Mm. make sense no it makes so much sense because that that is like an amazing intimate exchange that you have with people when you get to know them early on and I've sort of fucked that for myself now I've had two sort of things with (laughs) I'm being so vague I don't ever want to like write about my like love life again and also I've realized that I have to basically persuade all men that I meet now that I'm not going to write about them or talk about them on podcasts so this is why I'm speaking of course weirdly vague don't worry I'll move on in a minute Um, but I (laughs) I've had like a couple of things with people and um both both men have said both both of them said that they they didn't want to read it and they and that they never would um and I in my head I was like but how would that work but actually you know you don't know everything about Paul's work life or you don't know everything about Paul when he was a teenager or you don't know like I think we're all allowed to have compartments of ourselves that our partners don't get full access to yeah um and like our mums wouldn't read our diaries it doesn't mean they don't know us exactly but yeah no that has been strange and I think but the other good thing is that I think it is a good way of it's a good culling system for me because uh with dating men now because I just don't want to waste loads of time with people that's the people that are wrong and you know the one of the first guys I dated who 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 I had a bit of a thing with you know really really liked him and I think it was I think it was my work that that finished it actually in fact I know it is because he told me because <laughs> we're still friends now and he I think it was like an accumulative feeling that he had that he wasn't getting enough of me that he, sorry that sounds really arrogant as in <laughs> let me rephrase now <laughs> that he uh he felt he he felt there wasn't enough space for for him in my life because work, I'm in this quite intense work 
place at the moment which won't be forever and I think I think it went deeper than that actually I think he felt like I don't like that that you have like a bit of a public self I totally get that like there are t- there are some people people I know and love like some of my girlfriends I know that they're people who felt who would feel like they couldn't be with someone who spoke about their intimate past life in a public way they just need to feel like that is just for domain for them mm. or something and it and it then it wouldn't work it I just guess. wouldn't work because actually I couldn't go out with someone who hated exactly women who take selfies <laughs> I would be <laughs> so in a way it's kind of now a good way of just being like this and is I totally who I am. respect and I you know I said to him like that that I'm just that's this isn't going to work then. And again, I must stress, I'm not talking about this man in particular, even though no one who knows who I'm referencing. I think I'm just suddenly worried that he's listening to this podcast. I don't think he is. But <laughs> my listenership is 89% women. Oh my God, I love him. <laughs> have, have you gone onto your Instagram where yeah. it said, do you know how many, my percentage of women? I bet it's similar to mine. 94%. <gasps> Mine's 96. My followers. Oh, wow. Well done. God, I need to, I really want to change that though. I want more men to follow me. I'm good. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Nice men. Um, right. Sorry, I didn't mean to grill you about that. I no, just no, found no, it really interesting, like no. that dynamic of people knowing your yes, work. Yes, it is weird, and I hadn't anticipated. It. And it's a very interesting thing to unpick. And I'm very new to it because I, you know, I haven't dated for such a long time. But yeah, just wrapping up on what you were saying, I think that it's much more ubiquitous than we think it is that men find women who have sorted out various parts of their life with their job with their home with their friends with their family with their career whatever I think it's it's more insidious than we think it is of men that just don't can't handle it basically. they're like what's my purpose what's my purpose I truly think that because and actually that's why I love have you watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel no I need to it's so good and there's this line at the end of series one and my god I'm nothing like her I only dream of ever being like 10% of Midge Maisel but there's a there's a bit when her ex-husband says to her because he cheated on her and she's grilling him as to why because he wants to get back with her and he says Midge you're a lot you're a lot to take and it's just like it's such a simple line but I think it really sums up this like this like very quiet patriarchal culture that that often exists between men and women in a romantic capacity so yeah it it will be a strange place that I'm navigating but dating is strange for everyone I think yeah yeah and 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 it's it's weird I find myself sometimes even like pretending that I can't do something in order to be like make them feel like they're more needed than they are do you still do that now sometimes especially with like ikea furniture <laughs> i could See, definitely I do it myself i can totally be i hate the... that i do it i'm like oh no i can't do it and i'm like for <laughs> god's sake i love that shit you're feminist that. <laughs> yeah i won't edit that out um <laughs> so your new chapter mm-hmm. oh my god i loved it so much i also That's love that it's like a re- it's a big addition to the book actually yeah, it's, it's a like fat 8, book. Words, yeah. yeah, it just felt like a really amazing that you added that new bit in because it's not just a small chapter. It's like here's you know a big old section added. So yeah. love that, and Thanks. also made me laugh. There's a small bit in it where you're talking to a friend of yours in the bathroom. She's really sad about turning thirty, and you sort of smugly say, you know, I'm only twenty nine. Mm. That's me right now. Like when I'm clinging on to the twenty nine. I'm thirty in June. How do you feel about it? so weird really and so that that chapter really spoke to me I'm so glad to hear you say that because 
my friends got really annoyed with me about I think my friends thought I was doing it as like a fun bit like a way of gaining yet more attention from them (laughs) and I anticipate actually that this chapter I know that there are people in their 40s or 50s or you know generations above me who find it really galling when someone who's still as youthful as 30 Mm. is complaining about not even complaining I just I just it spun me out a bit but you're Um, very analytical about it which I think is anyone could read that and feel that's interesting it's interesting your insights the reason why it's so weird you can get away with things in your 20s it's Mm. it's cute to be like oh I fucked up but don't worry you're in your 20s it's like you can't you don't have that same room anymore and that's Mm. just a little bit like wake up call I think it's tough as well when you've you've been so defined by being young in your work that's what I think a lot of it is actually I think that being the youngest person in the room for so long yeah the youngest voice in the room you are no longer the expert on that I now just quote Gen Z yeah but that (laughs) like I think that we need to be more forgiving of people's crises of moving into the second act of their life because it is a big moment I have to say I knew it would feel different everyone's like when you get to 30 it won't feel different the build-ups blah 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 it's felt completely different this year of my life has felt like I am in a completely different lane of the motorway and it will feel different. Well, for some people, they say they, they don't. But I think it's the same for maybe 40, 50, 60. Yeah. All, all you're talking about is a new decade. That's it. It's, and, and actually, what I've realised now, because my friend India the other day was like, what was that about? That weird time when you turned 30. So it really did. It just sent me into like a bit of an existential. Because that idea of like, what is my purpose now? Particularly with when, as I said, with like what you are often employed for or what people turn to you for that idea of like I have been generationally evolutionarily replaced that is the that is the stuff of existential despair that's not like oh I want to like wear sexy top shop dresses and I want to have like a discounted rail card that is the stuff of like what the fuck is my purpose who am I you know it's big questions it is it really is and how do I define myself now and what topics should I move on to yeah that are more age appropriate yeah and how have I how have I been defining myself that's the other thing is that it really makes you confront how much you've been defined you have been defining yourself by your own youth and for most of us not men for most women because that's patriarchally how we're rewarded and how this structure works that we all exist in it's not a nice feeling when you go oh fuck my youth has I hadn't even realized I thought I've just been like you know noodling around the planet doing all this stuff of my own volition and own accord and that it's just the essence of me actually so much of this the engine of it or the way that it's defined is by my youth and guess what it's it's coming to an end that period of my life like this thing that I hadn't even realized is such a prop for holding me up and 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 being my outline and for the way people the prism in which people view me is is ending it will end and it's starting to oh my god it's terrifying because i think like you're allowed to freak out about that you are and and society has done this to us i don't know it's very interesting on the flip side though there must be positives because 20s are a mess aren't they yeah yeah there are positives and actually 
I, I what I realise now looking back sorry this is what I was going to say that I keep going off on waffly tangents um, India said to me what why what do you think that was that period and I was like actually now six months into being 30 I realised because actually the experience the day to day activity of being 30 and what it yields is the best the best and will get better I only ever get happier with every year I get older and most people I know say the same what I was sad about was not turning 30 it was saying goodbye to my 20s right yeah that's what I was grieving I think um and it's it's also like a very difficult thing when like what I think we're so we're so black and white sometimes about experience like I, I often wonder if it's like a social media thing like what's your favorite what's the best what's the worst how do you rank things and I think people feel like if you're happy about getting older it means that you're glad that your youth is over or you're, there's a sense of relief or something but I think like so many experiences in life there can be two truths that exist one of them is I'm really really sad I'm not in, I'm not 21 anymore I'm really sad about that I'm really sad I don't feel like I have a boundlessness of life ahead of me and the promise that anything could happen and um, no anxiety really yeah yeah crossing the road drunk not looking to- yeah and, and just like a childlike sense of freedom and wonder about everything and you know an ability to just fall in love with blindfolded and you know carelessly all that stuff I'm really sad that I'm not I'm really really sad I can't like go out and get fucking battered three nights a week and go into the office on one hour sleep I'm sad all that's over I'm also so happy that I'm 30 and I don't want I don't want the former yeah but, but both can be true you can really miss something every day of your life and know that it doesn't serve you anymore yeah um it's really beautifully put so that's how but no it's great I mean the main thing is that I'm noticing about getting older um and I've noticed it with all my friends unless some of them have done massive career changes and had to retrain or whatever the main thing that is so boring is just having a bit more money by no means do I think I now have lifetime security that I will never have to be on my hands and knees going through my bag when I'm piecing together money for my Oyster card again. I know that things can change for anyone at any time. But I just had a moment recently of like, oh God, getting older is good. Things are easier it's now. easier. Yeah. Just, and every single person in my, in that I know in their 30s has that feeling. Things are harder in so many ways, but just like practical things yes practical things you just you don't have to there's you don't have to worry you can you can be neurotic about so many other yeah. big things it's amazing what you can find to worry exactly. about even if you don't have that exactly. but in in a work context then turning 30 this is something that i'm hoping for when i'm writing an email or something i'm still like a 20 something writing an email yeah. and that sounds weird no, no, no i no, feel I like when i'm 30 i'm gonna be like no i'm fucking i'm 30 like listen to what i'm that, saying that has happened a bit does that happen that happened a bit to me you just I love how I'm asking you for advice you're six months I'm older six than months. me <laughs> I love also that I'm this like doyen of age I'm like this wise ancient you're Buddha like, right what happened <laughs> <laughs> no but I had a similar thing that I, when I turned 30 it was like a moment in my and also I must say I'm very neurotic I overthink things I'm very like self-obsessed evidently and I'm very um, anxious and I'm very obsessed with like I'm very over analytical so I'm also aware that I don't want people to to think that I'm making like turning 30 into this grand you know this moment in life like for a lot of people they j- it's just a passing of time and they just move through and nothing they're like changes. I wouldn't be able to write 8,000 words on this <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm very aware this is a very personal response 
to a age which some people don't experience at 30 some people they experience a totally random part time of life some people never experience it at all um but i did i saw it as an opportunity i think yeah. it's not like something within the fiber of me changed i think i saw it as an opportunity of like i need to stop being so obsessed with making everyone like me mm. i can't I th- it has to start changing and it had slowly been changing for a couple of years but i did get i just tell the truth more now like last night i was meant to be going to this like work event and i i because i cook dinner so much i hate cancelling on dinners on the day it just spins me out into terrible guilt because i know how stressful it is when people cancel on the day so i but i you know i've got this massive week with work this week massive, and i'm yeah. really behind with deadlines and stuff so i was just like spinning out in pandora my friend and the co-host of the hilo was like just don't go to the dinner i can explain why you're not there people understand they know what's going on with your life right now people have weeks like this with work it's fine and i was like i'm gonna send them an email and tell them that i have this like gastroenteritis like i, I tell them i'm just like change to the loo that's what i want you to say. like you saw me for the high low record and I was pouring with sweat and I want you to say that it's like really in dangerous territory and maybe I have to go to A&E and she was just like no <laughs> that like, sounds people pleasing yeah she was like just be a fucking grown up girl and just say this is the truth and she was like doll this was meant to be your like year of truth and so I just sat and wrote an email and I was just like I'm so sorry this is obviously for most people this is not a big deal for me it is no I, I think people like, resonate I, I had to send an email just being like I, I really am sorry that I'm dropping out I know how rude it is these are the reasons why and the woman sent the nicest email back and it just made me realise like we just owe this to each other we owe more of this to each other I think yeah, as well as honesty. being courteous but just and being thoughtful and not being so wrapped up in yourself but just honesty yeah no it's true and it feels better on both sides totally Okay, next question about um, writing, because a lot of people listening to this podcast are writers or creative people or trying to find the time to make things work. I found a tweet you wrote recently so interesting and, Mm. and also really resonated about how when you're a writer you don't actually have that much time to write because of all yeah. the stuff around it yeah. and I noticed that Rennie Edo Lodge who I've interviewed twice on this podcast often talks about the mm. demands on a writer's time I've learned so much this year about how I want to live and how I want to work and I had this I had a bit of a wobble in autumn last year and I think the crux of it I was overwhelmed and exhausted basically was the like surfacey reason but at the crux of it I just wasn't writing I wasn't given any space to write I just my life became completely dominated with um emails answering emails um events publicity um it was just like I I think what I realized is I had accidentally made my career being a professional personality and I don't want to do that and I have never wanted to do that and but these are all no one forced that on me these are all choices I made because I wanted to get the message out about the book I wanted to sell the book I loved that people wanted to hear stuff I wanted to say I'm a person with like very 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 low self-esteem deep down as most 
writers I know are and you know it felt nice that people you know wanted to listen to things I had to say or or wanted to engage with me in conversation but the fact is I have wanted to write since I was like four or five years old I've been doing it for, for most of my life if I cannot write if I'm not given space to write when I say that when I don't give myself space to write I'm no good to anyone. Like that's the only use that I have on this earth. That's all I'm good for. So if I can't be doing that and I'm doing that and the professional personality stuff, which is unavoidable because you have to get your work out there. But if that usurps the creation for me and with the fact that I was just so overstretched and I felt very exposed, it was, it, it, I just, I couldn't deal with it. Mm. And I think... The other problem is as well that people don't talk about, and this is not a comfortable thing to confess, is that writing is really, really hard. It takes a massive amount of concentration. It takes creativity. It takes... Um, it, what, what it really takes, actually, I've realised, because I'm, I'm now trying so hard to with, with the paperback winding down and everything I know about love kind of finishing in the spring and you know just looking at new projects and how I can do them differently so writing is more predominantly in my life writing I realize is like often when you're writing a sentence and you want it to be lyrical but truthful but funny but um but clear and concise and you want to pack all that it writing is like almost doing a like a puzzle I've forgotten that's what it's like it's like you know when you when you're doing a simile and you want a really funny punchline to the simile and you have to sit there with and you can feel your brain like it's literally like doing a crossword or something it's like solving a formula it it's difficult writing is difficult and the problem is when you get a taste of professional personality stuff so easy it's so much easier in comparison but if you speak to any writer a lot of them will say they don't like the promotion of the book that they don't want to sit on a panel at a literary festival they want to be at home in their crusty jumper writing something that Rennie said in response to that tweet that I wrote that I thought was so poignant is that what we ask of what we ask of writers to do the moment that their work is public is totally at odds with what is needed of them to do to create the work they're completely conflicting things and you know all the all the talky publicity eventy um interviewee stuff all, all that stuff it's um it allows you to swim in quite a shallow pool of your consciousness because it's just about um you know funny one-liners or a good picture or you know a good soundbite or whatever and that is the the opposite activity to what's required of you when you're trying to write something decent which is to kind of unselfconsciousness not thinking about yourself the opposite of narcissism, curiosity, exploration, space, quiet, they are so different. Mm. So I think I've just realized you have to be really careful to, if writing is really what you want to do long-term, I think you've got to be really careful of, of, of like carving out time for yourself to be able to do that. And actually so much of it has been um, like really, really small practical changes that I've had to make. Um, and I'm just about to start a new email address. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's a great idea. That's but, what Rennie did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <clears throat> what happens when you're a freelance journalist for like a decade 
it's you just want every person you meet to have your email well you're on probably every database yes in the uk because i hate (laughs) emails and i find a full inbox so stressful i know i shouldn't but i've tried really hard to just go you don't need to reply to them you don't need to you don't need to clear the inbox i do find it stressful so when i'm away from my computer writing for an afternoon and i know that i'm going to come back to 150 emails 50 of which are a press release about Meghan markle's pregnancy and then an eager pr being like hey would be great if you could discuss this on the high low can you call me or whatever like that that is that i just have to like limit all the distractions and all these like unnecessary obligations out of politeness that that in my life i just need that needs to all of us do not just me, like all of us yeah. who are creating need to do that. So again, I've just realised no one's going to put boundaries in place other than you. Yes, that's but it's true that everyone could, that could be useful for everyone because actually there are so many things I think where you could take the easy route and yeah. actually yeah, totally. for the yeah. biggest rewards you have to put in the time. So your show is at the Palladium this week. Yes. So how has that been, that talk, the, the live shows? Because you've been doing it with one of your best friends. Yeah have you enjoyed it yeah really really fun really fun um i think both of us will probably be ready for it to be done when it's when it's uh well because we would have done like 20 something no way oh my god all in all and do you change it up every i mean i'm coming to see it at the Palladium, oh, so, so excited! Oh, God, I can't. Do, do you change? Do you change? I'm so it nervous it? about it. Emma. We literally haven't slept for like five days. I was up last night just staring at the ceiling, thinking of all the ways that it's going to go wrong. But you've done so many. It's you know you're a pro at this now. Oh, thank you. I um, I think Lauren is is so charming and so funny and so thoughtful and so clever and such a good like chair and such a good conversation steerer um and it must help and not feel like work when you're up there with her it's really fun it is really fun i'm very aware i've just gone on this ramping like people need to give writers their own space and time but no i've never felt that about everything i know about love live um because it's just sitting on stage with yeah one of my oldest and best friends and just larking around and 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 also it actually people who've bought tickets i want them to know isn't just like larking around there's a structure we're not just going to be wasting your time um but also it's it, it because the because the show is about it's not just about the book so the book is a kind of springboard for loads of other wider discussions because right. it's not an interview it's a discussion it's literally lauren and i talking about themes that women of our generation have faced and sharing kind of anecdotal stuff and um amazing yeah so it's uh yeah it's really lovely and fun and also it's just like really nice to to be outside of london last question is about what you said recently actually about the sisterhood i know you shared uh mutual friends daisy's book and actually you've been really inspiring about talking about sort of collaboration over competition supporting other women yeah you wrote an amazing article for scarlett curtis's book feminists don't wear pink about it was almost like a step-by-step how to be a better person because i really experienced jealousy with other women me too yeah. And I think it's one of those taboo subjects. It is. Everyone's like, I don't get jealous. It's like, you're allowed to. It's a mm. real feeling of, and useful feeling. If I get jealous of someone, it's just a little reminder to make sure my ratio is working for me. Totally. And also it's a reminder, like, 
so much of that jealousy which is what I was trying to unpack in that essay like so much of that jealousy is not our own thoughts it's like it, it's like the patriarchal structure that we live in that makes women feel like there's so little space for all of us so I think if you can kind of rationally and compassionately take a moment with yourself and be like do I am I really angry and jealous that that woman has just got a tv pilot out there and do I actually really want it to do badly or actually have I been convinced that I'm worthy of nothing and that women are worthy of nothing and that only one of us gets a little bit of success probably the latter if it's the latter then I need to just get the F over it. Sorry, I've just realised how much I've been swearing, so I suddenly went a bit prudish. Me too. I'm going to have to put a little um, parental advisory sticker on this one. No, but it's true, and I really anyone listening, I t- I urge you to go and read that essay that you wrote. It's amazing. Um, well, thank you so much for coming back on and letting I feel me. Like I've just like blared at you like a therapy session, but I think I do that every time that you and I. <laughs> this podcast in fact i think all your guests do it reminds me of when i think you said you interviewed sarah pascoe and like half of it was on the taping room floor oh yeah yeah i feel like we do that (laughs) um thank you so much and congratulations on everything with the book the new paperback is brilliant the new chapter is so good yeah everyone go and buy it thanks thanks